hey, I've got a white male, six foot three. He's got a crowbar and I have, uh, and he's trying to break into this building. Here's the address. I've just given them a description of the suspect, a description of the crime and the existence of weapons. Every single police department in the nation, that's what their dispatch is designed to do. And they just described Sam at his own house, practicing crowbar combat. I know, right? I feel like I can hey, uh, your thing looks pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Great. No, I think, hey, hey, hey. I think it looks I great. Look, I look fucking fantastic. You look fantastic. This is the best. This is the best I've ever looked. If I look in a mirror, I've never seen this coming back. So whatever this camera is doing for me, this is just know if you're watching this, I'm uglier than this looks right now. So no, I, think, I think I'm uglier than this looks. I think you kind of look celebrity-ish. Like you got cool hair, right? you got a cool beard. I think you look. I think you look like. A, I think you look cooler than you've ever looked. Thank you. That's how I feel. I feel cool, and I think I need a tattoo or something. I'm just like now. I'm trying to triple down on the celebrity status that I, I see. No, I I think you look wonderful. Um, two things. First, today I want to talk about paid communities a lot. But before we get into that, the second thing is what I want to tell you. Last night. My wife, Sarah, goes, good night, Sean, um, <laughs> because everyone's been saying that. Dude, they say it in such a mean way. Was she trolling or was it an accident? She's trolling because someone tweeted like, well, we think that you are Sean and Sean's you because Indian guys typically have high-pitched nerdy voice and white guys <laughs> like you have like low-pitched alpha voice. It turns out Sean's the one with the alpha voice. And I'm like, fuck. So she called me. Uh, thanks. Oh, that's amazing. I hope you guys were doing some great things while she called you, Sean. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, it was, <laughs> she burned me good, but uh, let's get right into, you want to get, you want to talk about paid communities? I did a lot of research because this interests me right now. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So paid communities interest me because I came across this thing called tiger 21 and this sounds like lame that I'm bringing this up now after selling the company, but I've been interested in this for, for years. Um, do you know what Tiger 21 is? I've heard about it. What I know about it is it's kind of like a, a mastermind peer group thing, but it's for a certain wealth level. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's an actual cutoff, but it's supposed to be for wealthier. And I think it's mostly older people. And uh, we have a couple friends who are in it. So I, I texted one of them today about it. So I got a little bit of info, but tell me what I missed. What do you know about it? Okay, so Tiger21, uh, Google it. I don't know the URL. Maybe, do, maybe it's just that.com. Um, but basically, it's a peer group where you have to have at least $10 million of investable assets in order to join. It's very expensive. It's $30,000 a year. I wouldn't call it a mastermind because mastermind has a certain connotation. But yeah, it kind of is that. Um, I logged onto the site. I, I'm not a member, but uh, I used a friend's login to check it out. And there's... Uh, at least 850 members, according to the what I saw and according to their site. So what's that math? $24 million a year in revenue. Um, they have local chapters that meet up, uh, I guess now digitally, and they do things like they share one another's portfolio and you have to defend your portfolio. And so it's basically rooted in rich people talking about rich people stuff, mainly being investing, but I think it turns into a little bit of therapy every once in a while, like a lot of groups do. But what did your buddy say? All right. So I texted uh, our mutual friend, Keith, um, and so he's, he's, uh, he's a real estate guy. He's been on the pod. You can go listen to Keith's episode and Keith's a good dude. And he goes, 
I go, you're entire 21, right? And he goes, yes. Um, what's up? And I basically asked him, what do you think about it? He's like, it's an interesting group it's because it's all about investing, preserving wealth. Uh, it's mainly for older people. And um, he goes, the typical meeting goes four hours. You do, like you said, a portfolio defense where you talk about what you're holding and why and other people get interested in it. And sometimes there's speakers. Um, sometimes it's sometimes it's an external speaker. Sometimes it's somebody from the group who speaks and there's like a moderator. And they also do like events because if you go to the website, you can see like they hosted a Tiger 21 event at Magic Johnson's house. And so they're definitely trying to build this kind of like who's who network, this sort of like Soho Club, Soho House vibe uh, to the whole thing. And it, uh, yeah, so they do that. They also, you get like deals. So a friend of mine sent me a deal where they, basically when you're wealthy, you get this thing called umbrella insurance, which you pay two grand a year. And it's just like general insurance. And it's basically the, the story they tell you is like, if you get in a car crash and someone Googles you, they're going to see you're rich and they're going to want to sue you for $5 million. And this protects against all types of stuff. And so they give you a discount on umbrella uh, insurance. Um, and so by my calculation, I actually would bet that they do 30 to 40 million in revenue. And they recently sold to private equity. And so it's a relatively big business. And I actually read about, uh, read up on it. And someone said like, there's 90% retention rate, which is pretty amazing. I've also been following Reddit's uh, fat fire, which is a subreddit similar to this. And it's like tripled over the last year. So this space has gotten me incredibly interested, but this is just one example of a paid community. And so what I wanted to do was go through a few other paid communities that are interesting. I want to explain, I'm going to try to explain why I think they work and then where the opportunity is for other paid communities. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI powered service hub. Okay, so what is Service Hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new Service Hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. So can I start? Can I start with one opportunity, which is why isn't this just the business model for our podcast? Like, why aren't we starting Tiger Twenty One for people that are, you know, that have, let's call it, a million dollars of investable assets? So, a million dollars of sort of like liquid net worth that you can go invest into something. And uh, why aren't we starting this now? This seems like the perfect thing to do for a podcast like this. I think that probably there should be something like this. I agree. I, if you go to the Tiger Twenty One website. Um, you'll see like, you know, the type of models that people use on their website is like their ideal customer. And it's like 65 year old white dudes who own insurance companies that are quite wealthy, but not young or not like our kind of crew. So I agree. I think there's something there. Okay. So fair enough. So let's go into it. All right. So Let's talk about, where, where should we start? I've done a bunch of research. Um, how about we talk about- By the way, oh, sorry, sorry, interrupt you one more time. The thing I just said, by the way, I think is important. Uh, I said, why isn't that the business model for this podcast? I think way too many podcasts try to just do ads. And we've talked in the past about like Supercast, which lets you do like a paid, a paid kind of super premium version of it for your hardcore fans who pay you nine bucks a month or five bucks a month or whatever. And- uh, you know, I started a rolling fund largely off of the audience from this thing that said, hey, I've listened to this guy a bunch. I trust him. He, he has a good track record. And so now that rolling fund is $4 million a year that I get to invest into startups. 
that's more value than all of the ad revenue that we had before. Um, and so I think that more people should figure out business models that are different from the content that they're creating. And so I'm surprised more podcasts don't have well, different business models. I agree with you, but we are- It is more work. We're in one of the most lucrative niches there is. I mean, like if you're a, po- a comedian, if you're, um, what's that shit called? The two women who talk about sex all the time. Call her daddy. Yes. Like that's a little bit different. So how do you make money off that? That's a little bit different. And that's actually what we're going to talk about with paid communities. So let's okay, actually talk it. about- Let's have, and I'm going to bring that up. So let's talk about what makes them interesting and what makes them not interesting. So to me, what makes them interesting is that they can grow pretty quickly. So you had a podcast. Um, you do this $4 million fund. Now, building the audience takes a while, but you turned your fund on and you it was $4 million in a matter of months yeah. very quickly. So they seem relatively fast to grow. They're really fast if you have an audience, but compared to like a software company, which could take 10 years, I think we definitely could build it in a matter of two or three years. Second, they seem pretty fun to run if the interest of your community is the same interest that you have. If you, if, if you, if they don't, then it's definitely not as fun, but it's kind of interesting if you, or it's very interesting if that's what you care about. Third, you don't really need a lot of money to start one. You kind of actually need no money. You really could just start it with a paid Facebook group. Um, and you can have a really lean team to do it. And finally, they definitely seem pretty profitable because you can have a lean team. But let's talk about the cons. One, and this is what I've learned with our paid stuff and from friends, I think churn could be pretty high. Did you notice that churn was high in any paid communities you've been part of? Honestly, the churn was not high in the paid community that I ran. Um, but you did I don't it measure the year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that was it was a monthly it was a monthly fee, so you could churn out monthly, right? For trends, I think you charge annually, so you yes. don't know your churn until you know sort of later, unless somebody actively cancels. So it's not like uh, like enterprise software churn, where it's like a net like a one hundred net negative. <laughs> yeah. So that that I don't think that exists in most communities. By the way, my my paid community just for real numbers, mine was seven percent a month was churning, which is like if you just if you're not adding any new members, you know that doesn't take long for it to go to zero. But one I was, year. I think seven percent is one year. No, I'm talking about monthly. I was monthly. I, I was churning seven percent, and so uh, so. Oh, you're saying one year for it to go to zero? Yes. Exactly. I think if you have a, I think if you have a four percent churn, that's eighteen months. And, and so when, with including my growth, I think my net churn was like 1%. So I think I was adding 6% and I was losing 7% basically every month. And um, can you share anything about trends? What was the retention like? Yeah. Um, so we had some payment issues when we first launched. So basically we had some issues um, where if someone signs up on day one and on day 366, they get a renewal, um, the credit card statements, the, the, a lot of the banks will be like, whoa, 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 what's this? That's fraud. So we actually had a, a big fraud, uh, a problem with banks blocking it. But 80% of people uh, were opted in to uh, renew in the year one or in renew in the year two in our first cohort. Yeah. Um, ballpark, ballpark, about 80%, which is pretty good, but not, but like it's hard to get new customers on a consistent basis. Yep. Um, okay. So uh, the second thing is a lot of times they don't scale that well. And the reason they don't scale that well is if your community is kind of like trends where you value close-knit connections or Tiger 21, more people makes it actually worse. Um, Now, if your community is content-based, which we're going to talk about in a second, it can actually make it way better. But a lot of communities, like a YPO, like 
or um, like if there's 150 people at your meeting versus five people at your meeting, one is worse than the other. Because right. the, the scale gets worse for two reasons. One is exclusivity. So if the reason to be in this group was that it's exclusive, the more people in, the less exclusive it is. Or the, if the value is that, oh, I really like this conversation. This conversation was really, really nice. But now you get a noisy room of a thousand people. Well, now the, it's just too noisy. I can't keep up with this. I don't know who these people are. Some of these people are saying stupid things. I'm out of here. Right. So that's the two reasons that the scale scalability hurts. Yes, and it can work though, because if you're a Reddit, which is a community, not a paid community, but it's a good community, um, you want more, you need more. You need way, way, way more people. If you are um, Quora, you need way more people. If you're some of the other examples that you need, you need way more, more people is good, and that's great. Um, but it's not always good to add more people. So what I wanna talk about is a few communities that I found that I think are interesting, and then I wanna talk about opportunities in the space. And then finally, we can talk about what I think you need to build a successful community. Um, so the first one that I discovered, and I've actually brought up here a ton, is called Aventa. Have you seen Aventa? No. Okay, so Aventa, I know the first example, it's gonna, it's like doesn't even entirely apply because I think Aventa is actually a free community, but you need to apply and you need, or get invited. So it's somewhat similar, but Aventa is a community, is a professional group. Um, I believe it has uh, 18,000 participating members and it's for executives, particularly, uh, are you on the website right now? No, I'm on our, our notes. Okay. Uh, basically it's for fortune 500 or fortune 100 people. Um, it's people like the, I don't even like, I, cause I've never worked at a company. I don't even under, understand all these roles, but like a CIO was that a chief information officer. So, uh, I said CSO I'm looking at their website. Um, CISO. I don't even, I don't know what CISO means. It was that chief information security officer. Yeah. CISO. Yeah. So these are like things that I don't even, oh, I guess they have CFO. I know that is chief uh, financial officer. So it's basically ex executive. <laughs> it's you just turned into a, a glossary section for Sam to figure out. What Do you know what role? CHRO is? Yeah, that's basically your HR, the chief, chief, chief HR officer, basically. Okay, I guess that one was easy. How about a, a CDO? I don't know that one. Uh, uh, chief data management officer? Because come on, <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to know what this stuff is. But it's a big thing. They have 18,000 members. And check this out. They sold in 2016 for close to $300 million. It was $375 million they sold for. And it was for 12 times profit, which means their profit was $23 million a year. And almost all of that profit came from sponsorships. And so the way it works is, is that uh, they would get groups of 10 or 20 people. They would host a talk. Uh, like, I think it was mostly an online talk that says like how Walmart is going to handle, how Walmart is going to handle- Remote work. Yeah. Remote work. And 10 people like- I'm just going to guess uh, what's a fortune 500. So like the CMO of Northern, the C, the, I'm looking at now the chief information officer of Northern trust. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a huge company. Uh, the CIO of um, Delta of Chevron of Nestle is going to go, which is like, it's only 10 people at that talk, but it's 10 right. people who each control 20,000 people and sponsors will pay stupid amounts of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to reach these people enough that it makes $25 million a year in profit. Uh, very interesting. An interesting community. Again, like Tiger 21, if you go to the website, it just kind of looks like 
pretty old school, mostly right. older white people. So who knows if it's if it's hip or or at least like in the know of everything. But where's that? Where's this land with you? Interesting. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's interesting, but I think, you know, if I'm most people, I'm like, okay, the hard part of this is going and getting the CIO of Nestle or the uh, CMO of Delta to, to join some group. How do you do that? And I remember, um, what's the name of the the mastermind group that's the more popular company? Not Tiger 21, but like the other one we've both studied. I can't remember the name. YPO, Young Presidential no, Organization? No, no, the, the the one that does like $100 million a year. Uh, it's a competitive and, YPO? Yeah, it's oh, like the, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What's that? I don't remember what that's called. Uh, it starts with a C, I think. It slips my name as well. It slips my brain Vistage. as well. Anyways, sorry, Vistage. Yeah, yeah, Vistage. Sorry, not 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 sorry. The yeah, yeah Vistage. So Vistage uh, does the same thing as as this. And I remember getting the phone call saying uh, from some you know pick up some random number and it was, hey Sean, you know this is Wendy from Vistage. Uh, okay, have we have we met? Um, yeah, actually, I've heard a lot about you. Um, you're the CEO of Monkey Inferno, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, like, where, where do we meet? No, no, no. See, I'm, I'm actually the chapter president for San Francisco for Vistage. And um, I actually want to invite you to join our CEO network. Uh, we have CEOs from this company, this company, this company. And uh, we just really think you'd be a great fit for, for our CEO group. We meet up about once a month in San Francisco. Um, it's a great time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, CEO group, you, you sound like you know me, you're talking about my city, this sounds pretty legit. Um, okay, so what are you asking me for? Yeah, so the membership is $20,000 a year. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is a sales call, shit. Uh, like, good job, you got 45 seconds into the sales call. And so this is how th them, and I don't know if it was them exactly, but it was a company just like them, uh, was recruiting People it was just, they were just cold calling C-level people with a script that made you feel like they were calling for you uh, based on your city and your company name and your role, your job title there. And so I think this is what you would have to do is you'd have to be a pretty badass cold caller and you'd have to figure out how to get this thing going with just enough brand names where this sounds legitimate. I look, I host an event called HustleCon. I've over the years, I've probably had 150 speakers, um, tens of thousands of attendees. When I started it, I didn't know any of these people. I cold emailed them and there's a way to play it off that it's cool to be part of. Um, there's a way to get customers. I think that's a little bit better than cold calling. Now, I think cold calling, cold emailing like that should exist and you should do that. I think there's a few different ways, like having a podcast. Uh, right. And there, there's a few interesting ways to do it. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's an interesting community. The second one that I want to bring up, and I got hold of their deck uh, a year ago and I could have invested into it and I skipped it and I passed. And I think that might've been a mistake, but it's called soul savvy. Have you heard of soul savvy? It's like a shoe thing. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So sneakerhead lover community, something like that. Yeah. So it costs $33 a month. 
And you basically, when, when I was got their deck, it was basically just a Slack group. That's all it was. And I don't know if that's what it is anymore, but there's a lot of kids, uh, probably grown people as well, who are uh, want to get insider tips on when a certain drop of a shoe is. And they somehow game the system. Like it's, it's called cook groups. So there's these like groups where they team up and somehow, I, I don't know anything about the space, but they somehow get insider information on when a drop is going to happen and they, and they collaborate and scheme together on how they can get access to these certain shoes. Now what Soul Savvy is doing is they started with shoes. It was just a Slack group, which I think is stupid, by the way. I think if you're building one of these on a Slack group, that's not the right move. But they get, they get because they have a group of, I think they have 5,000 members now. So that's 160,000 in MRR. Um, because they have this contingency of 5,000 like really big shoe fanatics, they can probably give them special access to X, Y, and Z. They can do interviews with special people. And it's kind of interesting. They raised $2 million uh, recently. They say that they're adding 400 people to, a, to their wait list a day. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. <laughs> it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting space nonetheless. What do you think of that? Uh, I think you did good by passing on it. I think it's a cool business for the person who owns it. It's definitely not a, as constructor right now, that I don't see how that becomes a super large business worth investing in. Worth the, why they need $2 million and how they're going to turn that into, you know, a $200 million plus company. I don't really see that because like we said, communities themselves, this, you know, these chat groups don't scale. And, um, you know, you're looking for diehards who are going to pay, if you're paying $33 a month, right? Like, you know, that's more than, it's like you're providing more value than Amazon Prime. You know what I mean? Like that's double, that's triple the price of Amazon Prime. And so, you know, you really have, you're, yeah, the, the hardcores are going to go for it. But also the more people you let in, then the more people who all have access to the same information, the same tips, the same drops that they're trying to go buy, the harder it gets for you to actually go buy anything that's valuable. So I don't really see how this becomes a big, big, venture scale business, but I think it's a great idea for somebody who's a big shoe fanatic to create a community like this. I think that's an awesome lifestyle business to, to own. And uh, like, if that's your thing, that's great. I love it. I agree with you. Um, so let's talk about three ideas. Can, can I give you, can I give you two characteristics? I think make it work. One is high passion. Um, and then the second one is the ability to make money on the other side. So this happens a lot with stock trading groups. So um, there are a bunch of stock tip groups out there where people are looking for additional information and they want to be in a, a group where the crowd is moving a certain direction. Um, you have this for sneakerheads. You have this for NFTs right now, collectibles. Um, so, so the key characteristic is it's not just like, I'm a big fan of the, you know, the Golden State Warriors. So I'm going to join this paid community for them. Typically that doesn't work as well as if I join this group, I'm going to get tools that are going to help me make more money. So it's a very simple money in, money out calculation for people. And I think that's why it works for sneakerheads and it works for trading cards and it works for crypto, but it doesn't work as well for like, you know, people who just love Gossip Girl. Yes. So there's a few ways I think that if you're going to build this, uh, you've got to think about. The first is the amount of money that your company is going to make is exactly what you said, which is it's directly in proportion to the amount of revenue that the uh, uh, attendees member can make back. So, for example, if you are an enthusiast of RC cars, um, well, the equation here is how much revenue the attendee or member is going to make times how many there are. So members of people who like RC cars, I have no idea. I just made that up. But there's probably not that many of them. And because it's like a hobby that 
you don't really make any money from, you probably cannot charge a lot for it. So that like probably won't be massive, but not, I mean, maybe you should still do it, but that doesn't mean it's going to be actually that big. So that's the math that you have to do, which is how much revenue is the member going to make and how many of those potential members are there. Right. Or, or the one, like you said, with Tiger 21. So Tiger 21 is actually like that, right? When you, when you go and you hear somebody's portfolio, you're going to get investment ideas and even a single investment idea, a single like improvement to your portfolio. If you have over $10 million in investable assets, one good idea is going to more than pay for the $30,000 a year membership, excluding the friends you'll make and the deals you'll do together and that real estate thing you'll buy together and all that good stuff. So excluding all that. Now, on the other hand, if you're looking at something like um, the uh, Aventa or whatever, where it's like, what is the CMO of Nestle going to do when she meets the CMO of Delta? Like, they're not going to directly get revenue out of it. I don't think that's why. I think it's like, how hard were, how hard is it to accumulate this group of people in a room? So if it's really hard to reach these people, these are all high value people, then it's the membership is worth the value of the people in the group. So if it's just a bunch of sneakerhead buyers, each individual member is bringing zero like clout to the table. But if it's CMOs of different companies, then it's about how much clout do they each bring to the table? That's the value, not so much how much revenue they're going to make. Yes. And so let's talk about three groups that I have that I think this could work for. So if you're going to start a paid community, I'm going to start with the bottom one. Or I actually think it's the best one, but it's bottom one of our list. Nurses. We've talked about nurses a ton. It's an interesting demographic. I think nurses are kind of cool for this space for two reasons or three reasons. The first work could pay for it. Maybe I think work would maybe pay for it. Second nurses are typically I've spent time around nurses. So they're typically women and they typically are people who feel like downtrodden. Like they feel like they're forgotten because they're not overworked, overworked, underpaid, underappreciated. Yeah. And that is so groups that are the, um, whatever you just said, I guess, I don't know how to explain it, but groups that are like the us versus them, like we don't have someone speaking for us. Typically that's like, there's a lot of, like I've looked when I was researching communities, there's so many successful um, women, like women discussing X, Y, and Z communities. This is just like that. So I think that they have that us us versus them mentality. And the third reason is there's a shit ton of nurses. Yeah. Have you seen this Instagram account, Nurse Life RN? No. How many is it? It's 1.2 million members on Instagram. It's run by this guy. I think his name is Ebi or Ebi. I'm not sure exactly how you say his name. And it's this guy, this is black nurse and um, there's a whole bunch of nurses. Private. They just went private. Uh, they used to be public. And I think you have to like, you have to request so that they can make sure that you're a nurse before they let you in. Um, which again is part one thing that communities do well. The, you know, what's that quote? It's like, uh, I don't want to be a part of any group that would accept me. Um, you know, the, the better your gate at the front, uh, the more people will value being in the group. And so this is a group and they, they just post mostly like nurse memes. So it's like, you know, if you, it's like being underappreciated or whatever, they'll make a joke out of it or like, you know, coming home and realizing you still have whatever, you know, on your shoe. And uh, it's just, you know, relatable memes from the eyes of a nurse. So that's how they like keep their members engaged. It's just meme content. That's a good like inside joke for the community. But he partnered with the makers of Bala Shoes, which is the nurse shoe brand that's coming out. That's trying to be Nike for nurses, basically. It's Nike for for medical footwear. And so he got equity in that company and gets paid every month because he is the promotional vehicle for 
the for Bala shoes who wants to like penetrate this community, right? So um, not a paid community as such, but it is a private community. And on top of that, they do this. Now, what would Incredible Health, you know, the startup that's raised, I don't know how much money, $25 million from Andreessen Horowitz and all that, what would they pay to access 1.2 million nurses that are like engaged and trust this brand and trust this leader of the community? They would pay a lot, right? Uh, nurse job boards, like, so, so if this guy's ambitious, he could create a job board. He could create the next Incredible Health. Uh, he could take equity in, in Bala Shoes and be a part owner of, of the shoe brand. Like, I think that's where this goes for, for nurses. I think this is a great example of one. I think this could crush. I think that guy is going to, that guy's sitting on a gold mine. That, like, if you, if you fast forward 10 years and tell me that he turned this 1.2 million person Instagram page into a $100 million company, I won't be surprised. Right. If you uh, go and start Truck Life RN right now, uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen after this pod. Truck I might need to. Um, the second one, this is shocking to me, okay? Google Sheets. There's this guy who tweeted at me, and he started this thing called SheetsCon, and he had 6,700 people sign up. Is that, sh- I mean, I guess that's, that's shocking. shocking because, the, like, I know that probably 100 million people plus use Google right. Sheets, but, and I guess it doesn't, and I guess it also doesn't shock me because I am a Google Sheets nerd, and, like, I've dorked out about what why I And some of the most uh, profitable online courses in the world are become an Excel master, uh, how to use Excel, become better at Excel. Those are like, if you go look at the charts of uh, most profitable online courses, highest revenue online courses, Excel is always in the sort of top five. Yeah, Encore, the founder of um, Teachable, Teachable. One, time, yeah. one time told me that uh, there was some guy making a million bucks a year and he was like the biggest earner on Teachable on Excel. Exactly. So Google Sheets, I 100% think you could do a paid community. Now, it would have to be cheap though, because it's the same, it's the math of like, how much money do you make for Google Sheets? I think that there's absolutely something there. Um, and then the last thing is this, someone tweeted at me, a community of vetted senior engineers who talk about advanced uh, engineering concepts, like how to scale a tech stack from 100K to 10 million users. Totally buy into that. Something like that, that is incredibly niche and incredibly high end where if there's a, there's this other component that we didn't talk about with the community is you have to make it. So that information that you gather in that group, you cannot find online. Like um, for tiger 21, not that many people are going to talk about how, like, because it's embarrassing. How do I um, gift my child $15 million without the government getting their hands on it? Like that's not something you're going to tweet because that's embarrassing. Same thing with a hundred thousand to 10 million users. There's just simply not that many people who have done it. Yes. Um, so you're not going to find a lot of reputable information on that. So that's another trait of these paid communities and why I think this one in particular is interesting. I think any job in any, any job can do this. So nurses is a good one because you have, a, a, some are going to be better than others because you have, uh, you know, the more people, the more potential and the more um, kind of like insider knowledge is needed, the more um, downtrodden that group feels downtrodden is kind of a negative word, but I, I kind of what you're saying, like, sort of like they feel that they need to take action, um, in order to like level up in some way, uh, the better. And so like, you know, I, it, this could work for nurses, but it could also work for designers. I could see somebody just making a community of, you know, professional designers at all these different companies. It's like, yep, we have designers from Figma and from HubSpot and from Okta and from GitHub. And you should, if you're a designer at one of these companies, you're making $150,000 a year, $200,000 a year. Um, why would you not want to be a part of the, like the best network of other designers like you, where you can share 
tools, tactics, salary information. If you're looking for new jobs, opportunities, if you're looking for new jobs, like every job I think needs this. And the more new and fringe your job, the more they, the more the community is needed. So like, I know that our friend David Spinks did this with community because community was like this. There's not really like, there's no chief community officer at these big companies, but all big companies say it's all about community. Facebook's like, it's all about community. Twitch is like, it's all about community. And, uh, what does that mean? And, and who in your company, show me your, who's in charge of community at your company. Right. And there's typically not a, a C level who's in charge of community. So David Spinks said, well, look, there's all these like kind of mid-level people who are community. They run community for these big ass companies and there's no playbook on how to do their job. They're underpaid, they're underappreciated and they're overworked trying to run all these events I'm going to make the best community for community professionals. And so he made the community for community people. It grew pretty large. He ended up selling the thing. I don't know how big of a business it was in terms of a business outcome. He might've been a little early, but I think that's a great example of somebody doing this, just taking a job and and making it happen. So there's my idea. I just wanted to talk about communities because I think they're actually kind of cool businesses. I think a lot of people think that they want to start one. But um, I also think that there's a lot of mistakes made of like charging too little. And I wanted to show a few examples of companies that make like a quarter of a billion dollars of value off communities because I think they're kind of cool. So that's all I got to say about communities. I'll leave it with this, which is a lot of people, I think the majority of people who listen to us, they would love a non nine to five way to make $10,000 a month. And I read that in your, uh, your survey results. Today. Yeah. Um, yeah, which we could talk about that, but, but in general, that's, that's the number one thing I think people listening to this would, would just grab right away. They don't all want to be founders of billion dollar companies or $200 million companies or whatever. Um, but if I said, Hey, this is something outside your nine to five, it's a side hustle. It doesn't take up all your time and it's going to bring in $10,000 a month. I would say that this to me right now is the number one way to do it. I think there are some other ways, right? You could try e-commerce or drop shipping or something like that. You could try to do a newsletter or paid newsletter. I would do a community if I was going to, that would be my fastest path to that right now. And I'll tell you, you know, the reasons why are all the things you said, which is like, it's not that much work to run. The members provide the value to each other. It's not all about you creating content all the time. It's not that hard to spin up. You just have to be smart about which group you're choosing and what, where you kind of have an edge. What's your group. Um, And then the last thing, the downsides of it are that it can't scale super large, but that's not your goal anyways. You're just trying to get to $10,000 a month of free free cash flow from your side hustle. And so that is super achievable, you know, uh, $20 a month for, for 500 members and you're there, you know? So, so I think that is where I think this business fits in. And I, and I, and I said before, I actually do think they can scale, but not all of them can. Some of them, some, some of them can, but I, I'm someone I've built a, a paid community that makes, many, many millions of dollars a year in recurring revenue. And it is, I would say that it's really hard actually to start because I had to create a lot of the content early on and I had to create the, um, the culture of the community. But now I barely post and it right. has its own culture. So yeah, once it's, once it's taken off, yes, it, you, you create that flywheel and it works. Or not flywheel, By the way, I just time. did this. I just did this in e-commerce and it probably, I've probably put in a grand total of maybe eight hours into this thing. And I'll tell you what it is. So I wanted to create a community for people who have e-commerce stores. So I created a gate at the front that said, your e-commerce store must be doing a hundred thousand dollars a month. What's the URL? 
that doesn't even have a website. There's no website. Um, it's, it's called Club LTV. LTV is like an inside term in the e-com world, lifetime value. It's like what every e-com store owner wants is their, their LTV to go up. So I called it Club LTV. It's for people who are trying to increase their LTV. And so I said, you have to have $100,000 a month of, of, of revenue. I told, so I tweeted it out. So I definitely had a head start because I have an audience. So that brought in about the first 35 members who said, yep. And they would just send me a screenshot of their dashboard. Yep, here's me. This- How much did you say it costs? Okay, so so what I did was I made it free to join for the uh, the store owners, but you had to have this much value, like this much, uh, you had to be this kind of far ahead in the game. Um, but what I did then was I went to sponsors and I basically said, hey, I have a group of 75 store owners ranging from 1 million to $50 million uh, a year in revenue. And all of them trust me, like me, and I meet up with them once a month. And um, would you like to sponsor this? So I have one sponsor on board. They paid me $5,000 a month. Um, all I do is at the event, I say, boom, I do my intro, my high energy intro. And then I say, hey, let me pass it to the guy that makes this possible, that makes this group possible. And he says his thing for two minutes. He's had, uh, I can't say the names, but um, I don't know if I, I, I guess I just give him a free plug. So Mercury Bank is the sponsor of it because that's who I would use for e-commerce projects. And they're, they have a big push in e-commerce. And so they've had, at least from our group, five different, um, five out of the 75 e-commerce stores switched to Mercury just from the sponsorship. So they've gotten their money's worth out of it, including one company that's a $2 billion company has switched over to them. And so, uh, you know, they definitely got their value out of the sponsorship. But Wait, is this, and is this still going? Yeah, this goes every month. And so all that we do, we have, we have about one hour a month of, of prep and then 90 minutes a month of the actual event. And the, the one hour of prep is that Ben goes and gets a cameo made from a different rapper every month. And the rapper is just shouting out Club LTV. He's like, so we had like, you know, um, we had uh, Sean Paul do the cameo one month. And he's like, hey, it's your boy, Sean Paul. Just wanted to like big, oh big God. ups to Club LTV. You guys are all doing so great with your e-commerce store. And he's like, you know, just, it doesn't even make any sense, but it's just like a video that plays and people like it because it's like, I don't know. It's kind of goofy. So we do one, we get one cameo ordered and he sends the calendar invite. So just make sure everybody gets it. He sends one reminder email. And then the last thing is that after the event, he just says, Hey, if you learn something really useful that you're going to implement in your business, um, email me with the one line of the most useful thing that happened for you in the hour. Um, because the structure of it is we break everybody up into groups of six. So you're in a group with six other store owners who do between one and 50 million a year in revenue. And then the, the format is you say, one thing you did in the last month that's really working, it's driving revenue up. And one thing that you're struggling with that you might want help from, from the group. And so afterwards, they all email him the most useful things. He just, he, just takes, he just takes that sheet and he just sends it to everybody. So, hey, here was the top insights from the group. So Why that whole thing takes him that? one hour. What's that? Why wouldn't you charge for that? Because, because I can actually make much more off the sponsorships. For example, I've been approached by you know, the companies that want you to build their e-com store on their platform. There's the people who want you to use them for email marketing. There's the people who want for influencer marketing. Who are you using for Facebook advertising? Who are you using? What's the agency that manages your, your, um, your data tracking, like your pixel stuff. So all these companies each are willing to pay multiple thousands of dollars. I just have to onboard them now. Um, because now I have the group and the group is where the value is. That's the honeypot. It's the same thing you were talking about where, uh, Eventa, they have a free group and they they have, they're making $25 million a year on the sponsors who want no, to talk to these people. No, they more than that. Oh, sorry. That's the profit. They're making 200 million, but um, that's the same model that I'm using here. Don't charge the members. Just make sure all the members 
have successful businesses. And, and how once do you they, think this is going to get, or do you care? I mean, I put zero effort into it since then, but like we have 75 people who show up every month to the thing. And, um, which is like 80, 85% of the members show up every single month to the event. So it's, they're getting value out of it. And so I bet if I told Ben, Hey, go on Twitter and just reach out to these 250 cold email, these 250 or these 500 e-commerce stores. Um, Cause it's very easy to get lists of e-commerce stores that are successful. Um, I bet we could triple the size of the group if we, if we put some effort into it, but don't really care about it. It's more for fun, but it's cool. Cause it's, it's just free money every month. And uh, it's a good group to be in. I want to learn from these people. I want to learn what they're doing, what's working, what's not, and uh, make these connections. That's badass. Well, you, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I've, I've built the community as well, but it's like every time I learn something like you, the way you're doing it is a lot different than the way that we've done it. And it's really neat to hear a different point of view and perspective uh, on how to get it done. Right. I optimize mine for how do I spend the least time, but get just enough value. Whereas I think for you, it was like a part of your business. You were like, I'm going to, this is going to be a multi-million dollar thing and we're going to make it fucking awesome, which is which, awesome. By the way, if I had to start over, I would have done it differently. Um, I would have charged way more money. Right. Um, because I've learned the mistakes that you have to add a ton of people to build a big business and a ton of people for certain groups isn't necessarily good. Right. Um, um, fair play. All right, we're going to do one more quick one before we go. Uh, only if it's you, because that's all I prepare. Okay. Um, okay. I kind of have like a, like a advice thing. This is my PSA. This is my public service announcement. Um, do you know what the word inertia means? Yeah. It's like uh, uh, when something starts moving, it's hard to quit moving. Yeah. So I've noticed this and you tell me if you've, if this has happened in your life, but I've noticed for myself and many people that kind of ask me for advice, Inertia explains like 90% of why people are doing what they're doing, right? They're doing what they're doing because they're already doing it. And sometimes that's good because like, hey, the train's in motion. So I kept going even when things weren't, you know, going gangbusters, but I just kept going because it was, it was already in progress. And I'm glad I did because I had this good outcome. But more often than not, whether it's your business, your relationship with somebody, um, maybe it's something you've invested in. And why are you invested in it? Well, I already own it. I don't want to sell it. Okay. But if I gave you that money today, would you buy it? No. So it's like, you know, there's all these weird things. If, if, if I didn't, if you weren't already doing this business, if, if I gave you a clean slate tomorrow, would you go start this business again? No. Then why the hell are you doing it? Right. And so in my life, I've had this kind of like weird moment many times where I realized shit inertia is a bitch. And inertia is the reason I'm doing all these things I'm doing, not because I actually want to be doing them or think that that's the right thing to do right now. And so I just wanted to say this for, to A, see if this has ever applied to you. Um, but B, for anybody out there who's listening to this and like something is not going the way they want in their life, go ch- like just check yourself. Like, is this, am I doing these things because I really think they're the right thing to do and I want to do them? Or am I doing them because this is just the way that things were already going and I, I don't have the courage to change it. Um, I remember with my company, when we sold our company, it's because I had a conversation with my buddy, Sully. And I, you know, we, while we were talking, we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we make this bigger? How do we make this grow? And we were both looked at it and we were like, I don't think there's a, like, we don't have great ideas left. We've tried so many things. We've whiteboarded all these different ideas. It's like, do we even believe that this is a big opportunity? Like knowing everything we know now, would I be still doing this opportunity if I wasn't already doing it? And the answer was hell no. And it was like, 
And so this was my test. It's if this project ended tomorrow for whatever reason, the company had to fold, would I wake up tomorrow and start working on the same project? And the second question was, if the company had to dissolve, the investor, you know, the company went bankrupt and I needed to go start again, would I call these same people? Like, hey, you want to work together on the next thing? Because if, I, if, if no, then I have the wrong people today. If yes, then I have the right people today, if I would call them again. And so for me, it was always the people were right, but the project was wrong. And that's when I decided, look, maybe I should sell this instead of keep going on this for another five years and, um, you know, just sort of keep going with the inertia. So has this been a thing for you in your life? Yeah. And I'll tell you how I combat it. And I think I'm actually really good at combating this. I, I think I'm, I'm not great at a lot of stuff, but I'm good at combating this. And Warren Buffett says it's like uh, uh, bailing out water of a leaky ship. Um, he's like, it's sometimes it's better just to get a new boat. And the way that I get out of this is I do two things. The first is I burn bridges. So a lot of people say, don't burn bridges. I say, no, I actually do burn bridges. So quit your job or move to another city or do something drastic. Because for me, I've said I cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. I can only focus on, I can only focus on one thing at a time. And so in order to like get, to create, a, to break inertia and create new type of momentum, I like to create some, something that I have my back's against the wall. And I think more people should do that. I think that's the way to go. Um, they say that like, once you have a kid, you, you're, that changes. So that's one, that's an example. Once you get fired, a lot of things change. So I like to create those moments where I have, where, yes, I, I love those forcing factors. And the second thing that I tell, that I do, and I actually tell people is I say, just do something really small. So for example, if you're starting a business, don't think about a million dollars. What can you do tomorrow? That's just $1 and creating the little tiny things actually helps a lot. Um, because breaking the pattern is quite challenging and I love burning bridges. I think that's the way right. to go. But you gave advice on two things there. You said, basically you, you cut things off and you burn bridges. That's how you stop current momentum. Nice. And then how, and when you start, you start with ultra small baby steps or, uh, and, and I've heard this now from many people. So when I went to this Tony Robbins event, he used to say, he's like, how many of you have, like, if you think in your life, has there ever been a decision that has like altered the direction of your life? Like, obviously, yes, for all of us, our life is full of choices. And if we had made different choices, we'd be in a different spot right now. And so clearly like choice and decisions are like one of the superpowers that we have. And he goes, but how come there's times where, you know, maybe it's like weight loss. You you keep saying you want to lose weight. You keep deciding to lose the weight. You make that new year's resolution and then you don't do it. Right. Or this and that, you know, you, you, you say you want to quit your job, you want to start your business. Then there you are nine months later, still in your job, still with no business. And so he says, like the word decision, we've kind of we just use it too freely. He goes, the word decision, the, the root word of it, like scission is like kind of incision, uh, which is a cut. And he's like, the word decision means to cut off the other possibility. When you decide X, you remove the possibility for Y. You cut it off completely. And he always says, like. I forgot that uh, famous like story or whatever, but it's like, you know, these people going, uh, the, the, the general's going, they're, they're trying to surge, uh, take over this island. So they arrive on boat and they're trying to, trying to make it to land and they're trying to take over the land. And he says, you know, if you want to, if you want to win, if you want to win the war, get, you got to burn the boats. They like, see like, if the soldiers know there's no boats, there's no place to retreat. There's no boat to get back on and go back home where you came from. They'll win this island. And um, so he's, you know, the, the, the story, I guess, I don't know if this is real or not, but the story is the general burns all the boats and then the soldiers go and they win. And the same idea. So that's kind of what you're talking about, which is you're better than most in that when you make the decision, 
you literally cut off the other op- option by physically moving, by sending that email, by like or, changing or something I drastic. Make, or I make the old option really embarrassing or hard to continue doing. So a, a good example is this, is as we speak, I have, I'm, I'm actually gonna talk not loud because you can hear me. I have a chef in my kitchen cooking for me and yes. it's very expensive. It's a very expensive fee and I'm doing it because I'm trying to, I, I got actually really fit the summertime and then I got a little chubby and now I'm going to get fit again. And it cost me a lot of money to have this guy here doing this and I don't right. want it. And the reason I'm doing it is because I'm going to lose weight quickly and eat only the food because right. I want to stop doing this. And so that works really well. Another example is if you want to lose weight, you sign up for a competition like an Ironman or, right. <laughs> or something you can't get out of. Something you cannot get out of. And those types of forcing functions are the, I have found for me personally, who's pretty lazy and stubborn. It's the only thing that works. Right. I'm, I'm the same way. I want to use psychology against myself. I want to use my own psychology against myself. So if I say something publicly, like we've said on this pod, we're going to grow this pod. We're going to make this a top 10 podcast. This podcast can be doing a hundred thousand listens per episode. We've said that now egg on our face in front of all these people that we think are cool. And we want to seem cool against if we don't make it happen, if we don't, if they don't see us taking the steps and taking this seriously to make it happen. So when they see us putting thousands of dollars into our studio, adding video, adding YouTube, uh, doing re- more research. So we're coming onto these podcasts more prepared. They see that we are taking massive action towards it and we can't be embarrassed on it. Tim Ferriss used to do this thing where he'd say, I don't know if, I don't know how real this was, or this was just a thing he used to sell his books, but he used to say, if I wanted to lose weight, I would give my friend a $5,000 check and say, donate this to the KKK. If I'm not this weight by this date, it's already in the envelope. You just have to put it in the mailbox. And that he doesn't want to lose the money. He doesn't want it to go to the KKK. He thought of the worst possible outcome for himself that would give, give, use his own psychology in his favor to serve him in this case. Yeah, there's a business around that. It's called Stick. S-T-I-C-K-K. Or it's spelled like with two Ks or something. It's like a cute spelling. And you have a referee of a challenge that you want to do. You fund the account with a certain amount of money. You pick something you hate and the referee deems if you hit it or not. And then that money goes to your anti-charity. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I think that's a cool idea. I think there's even more people can do to like use, use our own psychology to get us to do the thing we really want to do in our life. And of course, you know, like these things are kind of external motivators. They're not great. You know, like what you would rather do is, you know, build great habits and you would rather be, internally motivated and make a decision for yourself that this is, this is like a must for you. You're going to do it. It's not a should. Um, but, but you know, some of these, these tools can help you get leverage. And I'll actually leave it with that. Well, what, what changed, what are you talking about? Can you say or no? Uh, for what, what do you mean? You, why did I bring this up? Yeah. I was talking to a friend and I just realized like I can help this friend. The friend just needs to make a change. And then the big realization was that the friend didn't even want to be doing what they were doing anyways. They were just doing it because of inertia. And then I looked at my own life and I saw all these different examples of where inertia had, inertia was, inertia had the drivers, you know, had the, had the wheel and um, inertia should not even be in the passenger seat. Inertia should be in the trunk. And it's just something you carry with you at the, at the, at the most. And so I just felt like I need to say this in case there's somebody out there listening for whom this happens. Cause my, when my friend was in that situation, I explained it. And they were like, dude, thank you. Like I needed to hear that because it made it more clear. And now I'm kind of embarrassed that I'll just keep doing this just because of inertia. Like, no, that's not a good enough reason for me. I'm going to actually 
choose the things I do. And then for better, whatever they turn out, at least I chose that path rather than like autopilot sleep. And I think there's a lot of people listening that might say like, and I think you agree with me on like taking drastic changes. I think there's a lot of people listening who are like, well, that's pretty reckless. Um, And my answer to that is, yeah. If you want like a drastic outcome, you have to take a drastic measure. So yeah. yeah. Or like, be honest, what is the real risk? The real risk in almost all of life is mediocrity. You know, like my, my trainer tells me this all the time. He goes, most people are so afraid of so many things. It's like, there's a lion sitting in the room. He's like, and I'll be the first to tell you, look, if there's a lion in the room, don't meditate. Don't, uh, don't take deep breaths, run. If there's a lion run, sure. He goes, but most of the time there's no lion in the room. And basically what he's saying is like the things that we the things that we want to do, we should have the courage to do. The reason we don't do them is fear. And, um, and one of the, you know, like we should not be fearful all the time because most of the time there's no lion in the room. Most of the time, the risk is much lower than you think for the things you're hesitating on. And the, the real risk over the long term is mediocrity, is having a mediocre life, a life that's not on your terms, that isn't the way you want. And so, um, you know, I think that's true. And I think you can apply this to anybody. Like, Abreu, if, you, if, if, I, if I say this to you now, or as you've been listening to this, you, is there a part of your life that you you think is like, that's inertia, that's inertia driving, not not me choosing? It could be doing this podcast. I don't know how long you've been. I hope you won't uh, say that. It, it could be though, like, because you has big dreams. Abreu wants to start a company. He wants to do all this stuff. And he, you know, this this podcast was a passion for him and it turned into a job for him. And I don't know, like, is this what he wants to be doing with his time or does he have a bigger dream and he's just doing this because he was doing this? I don't know. Is- what do you think of Bray? What do we, how, what, what, this is a weird episode. This was the weirdest episode. It kind of became about <laughs> me. Um, but like that the community part felt less like a podcast and like we could charge for that. There was so much value in there for the right person. I think for a lot of people listening, I think that's, it was not as entertaining as the stuff that we normally put out, I think, but it was more valuable if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I don't know which one is best, but I guess we'll find out. Tweet at us so we know. And just tweet at us like, I, I don't know if Abreu, I don't know if Abreu speaks for the average listener. We think he does. So that's why we ask him. But if you're like, if you're like, yeah, I generally agree with Abreu's grades, then tell us. And if you don't agree usually, and you're like, don't listen to that guy, also tell us. Go Just go on Twitter or email us or something. And I don't blame you because I disagree with myself. So. Oh, also, I put this out there. Uh, Abreu, put the link to the hotline in the description of this. I want to start doing Q and A's where we take, um, ideally like somebody asking a question, like you talking, somebody asks us a question, we play it and we respond to it, or we take call-ins or something like that. But me and Sam want to do some bonus episodes. I opted him into this. I didn't even ask him if he wants to, but we want to do some bonus episodes. I committed to a third episode. Um, so, and if it's a Q and A, that's like the, that's, that's probably zero work for me. So. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. So uh, we're going to put a thing in. It's a, basically a hotline where you can just ask your question to the MFM hotline and we will get those. We'll sort through them. We'll put the good ones into the episode and we'll answer them. So uh, do that. All right. I'm out. Hey everyone. We did an interview with Dave Selinger, AKA Selly. He's the founder of Deep Sentinel, really interesting home security company. Dave is also really interesting himself. He's a multiple-time founder, really cool guy. Not only do the guys discuss Deep Sentinel, but they also talk about some of the opportunities Dave sees in the moment. So we'll leave this interview here at the end as a little bonus, as a little nugget. Hope you guys enjoy, and as always, leave us some feedback.
So we're going to do a, a relatively quick segment. Segment, uh, Dave, do you go by David or Dave? Uh, go by Dave, go by Sally. Most of my, my friends and coworkers call me Sally. Sally, all right. That's a good one. Um, I, <laughs> Sally, S-E. Sally, uh, I dig it. Um, okay, so I invited you to come on because I have this thing called Senadol, Deep Senadol. I say it right? Senatel? Yep. Deep sen- Sentinel, yep. Sentinel. Um, my friend Noah. <laughs> you mispronounced his name. You mispronounced his company. <laughs> Is your friend's name really Noah? Yeah, I, I, people make fun of me because I mispronounce a lot of stuff. But um, I have been using this. It's quite interesting. And I want to give a summary of what this is. My friend gave it to me. Basically, I had Ring, these Ring cameras. And Ring is pretty good. I mean, it's fine. It's cameras. Mm-hmm. But my friend Noah was like, oh, that's cool. You can watch people steal your shit. Um, <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I mean, what's the point? Like, you got to monitor all them. And I was like, yeah, that's actually a great point. He goes, here, try this thing called Deep Senadol. So I tried it. And basically what it is, is it's a, it's, a, it's a bunch of security cameras around my house. And there's security guards watching it all the time. And if something is triggered and uh, they see someone at my door that looks suspicious, or even just someone at my door, they say, hey, who are you? Uh, do you know the person who lives here? What are you, what are you doing here? um whatever yada 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 and i tested it online on my twitter handle and i like did the secret sign you could like put your hands above your head and do a sign and someone checks in and goes hey is everything okay and it's just like pretty badass and so i invited you on because i wanted to learn a little bit about this did i, did I describe the company accurately you, you nailed it right like our, our our motto really is um and one of our one of our marketing gimmicks is that we make a a t-shirt that says oh you have ring congratulations uh you know now you can watch people steal your shit and that's, and that's literally kind of where, where Noah got that is that I personally have, uh, I have a ton of cameras. I've been a camera fanatic for a long time and my neighbor had a home invasion. And so, you know, the, the, the neighborhood, it's a pretty safe neighborhood. We, we all freak out and we're like, you know, what, what can we do? We have the police come and I introduce myself. I'm kind of the head of the, the neighborhood watch and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I asked the cop, I say, you know, look, my neighbor, she has all these cameras. She has an alarm system. You know, why did she still get a home invasion? And the cop, who, who I'm now friends with, by the way, says like the rudest possible thing, which is which is straight on point. He says, well, you're the tech guy. What did you think the freaking cameras were going to do? And it was like this moment of just utter eye-opening WTF was I thinking, you're right. Like, they're just cameras. And they don't actually stop anything. And so... I spent the next five years building a product that turns cameras into something that can stop crimes. How many subscribers do you guys have? We have uh, about 2,500 customers across the country. About half of them are businesses and half of them are, are residential. And how many security guards do you have? And where are these security guards? So we're, we're, we're bordering on like kind of the, the secret sauce here. But I'll tell you, we have a ratio of about one guard for every about 100 properties right now. And that's how we make it so that it's affordable because uh, it, it's $100 a month, kind of our starting price point. And if you think about like having a security guard at your house, if, if you happen to you know have a bunch of friends who are billionaires, for example, they're spending thirty dollars to $100,000 a month for a security guard. And our our entire point was like, that's just not attainable to most people, but security is really, really important. How do we make it affordable? And so we use AI and like a bunch of technology in the middle to make it so that we can have one guard protecting lots of properties at once. Okay. So you don't have to answer exactly, but if I had to guess, and I mean, you just said it around 25 ish security guards, 
a couple dozen, a few dozen, some, some yep. number in that ballpark. Yep. Um, and how can this, how, what the question that I had when I was thinking about this business is two things. The first is this whole idea of like someone real life actually doing manual work is like on the other side of a, of a tech, a tech product is kind of interesting to me. I remember, you guys remember when you were younger, there was that service called Chacha and you could like text them a question and they would answer it. <laughs> totally. Like, I think there was a real person on the, on the other end who would just Google the question you had because yep. Google wasn't on your phone at the time. Yep. That's exactly what it was. And that's kind of like what you're doing. And so my question is this, how do you scale that? And do you just mm-hmm. have to get a ton of guards? And also what other services can I apply this to? So uh, that's exactly the way that we think about it, kind of inside of our four virtual walls of the company. Um, so, so number one, the the number one thing that we do to scale is that if you think about the the old business of security, right, like a, a guy or a gal sitting at a chair watching the entrance to you know a corporate building, that is inherently not scalable, right? You have no levers because you have a physical chair, and What's neat about Deep Sentinel and, and, and the big kind of aha moment for me is that there's all this internet stuff that can sit between the cameras and the guards. And, and when there's internet stuff, that means you can instrument it. That means you can, you can start measuring things. And then like uh, what I did at Amazon in my last couple of companies, you, once you have data, you can start optimizing it. You can start looking at what are the real problems? What are the things that aren't problems? How do I, how do I make the guards into super guards, right? Like, in fact, at our office, we have an Iron Man at the entrance because that's that's the way that we think about this is that our technology turns these, you know, regular awesome guards into super guards that can, instead of having four guards protecting one property, you have one guard protecting 100, one guard protecting 200 properties because all of the 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 AI filters out events. It also sends them clips that it thinks are interesting that they should look at. Like, hey, here's a clip from 30 seconds ago. Maybe these things are tied together. And so as you do more and more of that, it's not like we're getting rid of the people, but we're making each individual person more powerful, right? And more engaged in their work. Um, The last thing I'll toss out about this too, is that one of the other things that a lot of people don't know about guards is let's take, let's take like the most badass special forces guy in the world, right? Like I'm ripped. I've been trained for, for years and I'm going to put you on night watch. So you get to stay up between 10 AM and 6 AM and you're in an area that's like, that's dangerous. It doesn't matter how badass you are, right? Like the tendency to fall asleep when there's nothing happening for eight hours in a row is incredibly high. One of the other neat things about what we do is because we spread this across all of our customers, there's always something happening. We don't have like a lull time where, where our guards are just not doing anything. They're always engaged. And so we're, we're able to keep them awake, engaged, like, you know, stimulated in, in a way that allows us to provide like what you just said. You show the, the, the symbol on your cameras and bam, within 10 seconds, there's a guard responding. You can do that 24-7. Okay. And so where are the other opportunities? Like, this, what do you call this, this, this model? I don't know what you call it, where you have like real, real people doing stuff. Yeah. So, so um, 
the the kind of like way to still be called a tech company is you, you make the human the second part. So you call it human in the loop, that it's a technology loop. And there just happens to be a human for a tiny piece of the work uh, versus a traditional services business where the, the human's doing everything. And so human in the loop, uh, it's being applied right now already in some other industries like cybersecurity uses it. So if they detect like a, what looks like an intrusion or like in the case of Ricotta, where they don't detect it until after it's done and, and the hackers release it, uh, you know, the, the, you know that, that, was a, that was a jab at them. But like, you know, the, the idea being that the computers can detect things that are kind of anomalous, but that the human really applies his or her intelligence to figure out the last little bit. So it's also being applied like in, in medical telehealth, right? So you have these experts and you use technology around them to make sure that you, you take an expert who could only generally be regional historically, but now a cancer expert because of video conferencing and, and you know, uh, remote records and, and things like that can actually have a lot, lot more impact. Um, for us, what we think about are how do we take this in a security context because we want to stay in security and how do we expand that to a, uh, a virtual greeter at a multi-tenant uh, apartment building, a sky rise in, in New York, for example. Um, how do we apply that to watching elderly folks at home who may need just a check-in every 15 minutes? How do we apply it to hotels where you don't need to have a guard there 24 seven, but you need to check the lobby every 15 minutes? And how do we do that at a cost that's 10 or 100 times less than having a physical guard on location? That's interesting. How big is that? How how big is that market of just checking in on? Wait, how many doormen are there in New York? You know, you know, it's 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 a great question. Actually, one of the most interesting things about this market is uh, that it's it's pretty big, right? So the alarm side's about twenty billion dollars, and then the guard side's like twenty to thirty billion dollars. But what what Deep Sentinel hits is like this really kind of weird seam where there hasn't been a solution at all ever. And that price points between about a hundred bucks a month and $10,000 a month. There is nothing. And, and there's nothing there, not because there's no demand, it's supply side constraint. There's never been anybody that's been able to create a product that has a price point in that price band. And so what we're finding is that there's just this huge vein of untapped demand, right? Like a hotel, let, let, let's use that example for the, my friend happens to own a, a few hotels. And he was telling me, it costs him $3,000 a month to have this guard who's kind of schlocky, to be completely honest. Uh, I don't know if that's an appropriate term on, on, on your podcast, but, but uh, uh, I've never, never heard that word. <laughs> am I the only Jewish person on here? Okay, so I, I, so, so, uh, I don't know another word for it, but, but he's schlocky. So he's, he's kind of sloppy. He, he, you know, he, he's not really going to scare anybody away. And he's like a schlep. Up. To use another he sh- he schleps word. up to the place. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he uh, he shows up three times a night. This is for three thousand dollars a month. He shows up three times a night and just walks around the parking lot for about five minutes. He gets a total of fifteen minutes of security over the course of ten hours, and it's three thousand bucks. Whereas w- with us, we'd be able to provide that service for for maybe a thousand dollars a month, and there'd be someone watching twenty four seven in case something happened. It's just it's so massive what the disruption is when you create something where there's literally just been kind of a vacuous hole. And so, you know, that's kind of a way of me avoiding the question, answering the question, but like it's, it's tens of billions of dollars that's just untapped. There's buildings that would love to have somebody greeting them in New York that don't have someone because their cost would be 20,000 bucks a month. But if it costs a thousand bucks a month, bam, they would do it in a heartbeat. 
So what does your security person do when they see somebody that is a potential intruder? Are they calling the cops? Are they like yelling through the camera? Hey, buddy, back away. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a tough guy inside. You know, what, what are they doing to actually eliminate the threat? <laughs> yeah, so, so there's... <laughs> There's a bunch of different things that that we do. And, and, and you know, you mentioned two things on, on kind of the ends of the spectrum. Right. And it's a it's kind of like an escalation spectrum. And right. so on one end, right, like, hey, I see a kid. Right. That's the really most innocent thing. And the kids kind of like poking at the door. And so we have a juvenile protocol. Each of these things are in their own little protocol that we train the guards on. And that's part of what the technology does. The technology helps them know the, the potentially relevant protocols to, to engage here. And the uh, and, and with a kid, you'd say, hey, hey, kiddo, I, I see you're there. Do you belong here? Right. And that's kind of the softest just touch. Right. Then there's an adult that, that may be looking a little creepy. And then we say, hello, this is Deep Sentinel Security. Can I help you? And that way, if it does happen to be a friend or family, we're not insulting them, right? So if Sam's best friend from college that we've never seen before shows up and he decides that the right thing to do is go right up to the door and start looking through the windows without knocking, you know, that's the, the greeting he's going to get. He's going to know somebody's there, uh, but he's, he's not going to necessarily feel insulted right off the bat. If, if somebody shows up and they've got a crowbar, it's sirens on, hey, stop what you're doing. And, and the, the, we automatically escalate. So either that guard or another guard is contacting police. All of that's happening within about 10 seconds. And that's where the neat, the other neat thing starts is that because we have somebody watching, our calls to police are very different than what they get from like if you have ADT or like some, some uh, I'll use the word again, some other schlocky kind of home security system. ADT calls and they say, hi, uh, this is this is Becky from ADT. Uh, I have a motion alarm in the living room. And the police say, well, is it the homeowner? Is it a cat? Is it the wind? Is it the dog? And she says, no, 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 this is Becky from ADT. I have no idea. I'm just calling you because I thought I'd waste your time. Hangs up. When we call, I say, hey, I've got a white male, six foot three. He's got a crowbar and I have, uh, and he's trying to break into this building. Here's the address. I've just given them a description of the suspect a description of the crime and the existence of weapons. Every single police department in the nation, that's what their dispatch is designed to do. And they you just described Sam us. at his own house, practicing <laughs> yeah. crowbar combat. I, as I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why two-way audio, but, but like, that's, a, that's a good joke, but like that's why two-way audio is really important because by the way, homeowners do do crazy stuff. And so sometimes we <laughs> well, see- I have like a sledgehammer that I use to like exercise. You've just described me working and, out. Well, and, and we'll say, hey, like, are, are you there? And you say, no, no, it's me, Sam. Here's my special code word. And then we don't call the police. So when we call police, it's 100% verified. Our calls are 100% verified. And most people don't know this. When alarm companies call the police and ask for dispatch, it's 99% false alarms. In fact, Freakonomics- wrote a little piece about this and they're just like, it's, it, it's horrendous. It's a waste of police time. Right. And so most police jurisdictions have actually passed laws where they don't have to respond at all to alarm calls. Yeah. That's what I was going to say in San Francisco. I feel like I can call the police and say, Hey, this guy's got a gun to my head. And they'd be like, well, you know, let's see if you could, if you can resolve that with your HOA before we uh, send somebody out yeah. there. Right. They're, they're if not going to get his me. name and call us on Monday. That'd be great. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so how many crimes have you guys stopped? We stop about 15 to 20 crimes a day. Wow. I mean, that's it's, incredible. It's, and that's crimes means like stealing packages. It means everything, right? Drum beats, right? Like it's just, 
It's stealing packages. It's attempted break-ins. It's assault. Okay, uh, why don't you have a, a TikTok channel that just publishes every crime that stopped yeah, just the it's, footage it's, of the crime? It's we do. Great. It's it's, it's the stopped video watch. channel. Yeah, Send everyone to it. Views. Okay, I got to get what, – what is it called? It's stopped. It's on YouTube. We're just starting TikTok. We just found TikTok, right? Like I'm old, sorry. So like I didn't, I didn't really get TikTok. My kids were on it and they were like, look at me dance. And we did like the dances, but I didn't really think about it as like, hey, let's post these things on there. Uh, People are loving it on TikTok. Because on YouTube, what is it? It stopped what? It's the, uh, it's the stopped, Deep Sentinel stopped video series. And every single week we produce the, the best 5, 10, 15, 20. Um, oh, that's amazing. These have thousands of views. Great. Good for no, you. Dude, some, of them, some of them have close to a million, I think. Yeah, we have, we have yeah. a couple that have a million. Uh, uh, and, and it's it's cool. Like it's it. What's neat about it is it kind of taps into, um, you know, if you've ever been the victim of one of these crimes, like you, you want nothing more than to get back, whether you're getting back at that individual person or just like getting back at the world because it makes you feel powerless. And one of the neatest things that, you know, we actually don't really publicize that we do yeah. as a company um, is we, we actually reach out to, to people that have been the victims of, of like really heinous crimes. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I reach out personally and say like, hey, I, I, I'm not asking you to promote us. I'm not asking you to do anything. I just want you to know that we've created a product that actually can make you feel safe in your own skin, safe in your own home again. And I'd love to just give it to you for the next six months. And, uh, and it's the neatest thing. Like I actually, uh, this morning I happened to drive by, there was a, there was a home invasion in my hometown, um, last year. And I gave the system to these people that, that live in Pleasanton. And, uh, and I happened to be by their house this morning. So I stopped in this morning and the husband answered the door and, you know, he's like a, he's a, like a big, tough dude. Right. And he, he's not the type of person that you, you would expect to say, like, I'm really scared in my home. But we all have like our, our kids or our family or the moments where we're not home or, or like we're asleep. And it was really neat to hear him just, you know, eye to eye say like this is this has really changed the way that we live. And, and after something that horrible, you know, it's it's really life changing. So we only have a few minutes left in the segment. But what I want to ask you is where's the opportunities based on what you've discovered? Because I think like I've actually read I like reading about um, companies that got big. 20, 30, 40 years ago. And there's a lot, like the beginning of ADP, ADP, what's the, what's the security company? ADT. ADT. ADP is <laughs> payroll. Um, and a bunch of other like interesting security Basically guards. the same company, but but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, a bunch of companies that like, are just like, like um, the guy who started, um, you know, wonderful brands? No. They make the palm, the palm water or the palm Jeez. drink and they make the okay. Like he got a lot of his wealth, I believe, from a security guard company. Like security guard companies are just kind of interesting to me for some reason. It's kind of weird. Um, in this space, with this like human in the loop service in the security space, where's interesting opportunities that I wouldn't know about because I'm not involved? Um, one of one of the ones that we see a lot of uh, is construction recently, um, and uh, the. What's what's interesting about construction yards is you have like these massive amounts of assets with no security, like literally no walls most of the time, right? Like sometimes you have chain link fences and and, and that's going to generally in security, like speaking outside of like deep sentinel in terms of human in the loop. One of the other interesting things that that we're seeing is like just the movement of stuff seems pretty unsolved, right? Like there are still companies that make a hundred million dollars a year 
and they have a, a line of business called cash. Right? Like in the age of Venmo and in the age of PayPal and in the age of Apple money and Facebook money and, and every type of virtual currency in the world, there's still people getting paid money to like put their lives in danger to go move pieces of paper around. I mean, it seems like so absurd, but I'm reading uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right now. In the first chapter, it says like humans are generally miserable because they spend all their time moving green paper around and green paper doesn't make them happy. And and it made me think of like the, this this business that like, oh my God, every every year people are like scared and die because they have to move the paper around. How dumb is that, right? Like there has to be something for, I mean, just, I don't know, vapor, take a picture of it and vaporize it and then digitize it. I don't know. But that one seems like there's there's just an asinine amount of risk and opportunity there. So construction, is there one more? Um, What's another, I mean, like most of them are pretty obvious, right? Like car lots. Oh my God. Actually, car lots are interesting too because one of the things that, that, that people don't realize is that, Everyone thinks like, oh, my God, car lots, everyone's going to come and steal a car, but that's kind of a big crime. Actually, the number one thing that we see is people going and breaking into cars at car lots because uh, there's just lots of um, catalytic converters. There's lots of stereos and there's lots of leather. And so, you know, every once in a while, there's somebody like stealing cars off the car lots. But what we see a lot of is just these people going and and, and grabbing the doors. Actually, wait, I'll, I'll go with one more. Meth. So meth, uh, meth is uh, a, a horrible thing, right? Um, but what meth has led to is like this really weird pattern of mail theft. And I call it agricultural mail theft. And so one of the things that, that you'll see this a little bit on Extra, like, hey, I saw this guy like going and, and checking my door handles or checking my mailbox. And then it goes on Nextdoor, and everyone in the neighborhood for like 15 miles says, oh, I saw that same gal or guy too. And meth has created this entire lifestyle where these people uh, actually go and farm neighborhoods and they'll go in, in, a, in, a, in a cyclical schedule, go from this neighborhood tonight to this neighborhood next week and this neighborhood. And they literally check every single door, every single mailbox as, it, as again, kind of tending it like they would be tending their plants in agriculture. And, uh, and, and it's just really it's a weird what, phenomenon. What are they stealing? They're just stealing mail or they're stealing, they're stealing something wallets. related to me? Okay. Um, they're, they're stealing wallets and, and mail that's typically checked. They're actually pretty careful. And when I say agriculture, like they're actually careful. So, so when they put your mail back, it's very infrequent that you see them just throwing it on the ground because that's that, that like ruins their, their agricultural right. area. So it's actually really interesting when you see the video, they're like, they open your, your door and then they're very careful when they put your mail back. Cause the last thing they want is for somebody to find out. And, and frequently, again, if you look at next door, what you'll find, and this is why Deep Sentinel is needed everywhere, is they'll go be like, oh, my God, I went back for the last three months. And this guy's been coming every four days. And I only happened to notice this one time because he took something too valuable to me. And, and it's just this really consistent theme across America that your doors are getting checked. Your mailbox is getting checked way more than you're aware of. I've caught a bunch of people on my cameras being being weird. I get an email where it says a guard intervened. I've caught a few people. Uh, I hate it. it. Yeah. It's almost made me freak out more now that I know. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, it, the, the, the good news is that, you know, you do have a layer of protection. The bad news is you now know, like, for real, like, if, if you had a ring, you're getting 100 alerts a day. And so you just didn't know because who's going to comb through all 100 of those alerts every single day? It's just not, it's not worth it. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on. This is super interesting. I've been a fan of your product. 
so it's nice to talk to the creator of it, uh, one of the creators of it. Um, this is pretty badass. Um, well, thank you guys. Yeah, it's, I mean, as you can tell, like I'm super proud of it. I'm happy to talk about it any day. If you put me on for five hours, I'd keep going, right? Like, I love it. It's it's the neatest company I've ever had a chance to touch, and I'm I'm so proud have, to be able to touch people's lives. Ring. Did you help build Ring, or did you, did you work at Amazon? I worked at Amazon. Yeah, so I, I was there way before Ring times. How long? What year did you start there? Uh, 2002. Holy moly! I bet we should have you on another time. Just ask stories about that too. I I have lots of stories. There's lots of people that have great stories about Amazon. Amazon is such a neat company to have watched go from you know when I joined every single uh, every single quarter the Wall Street Journal would run a story. When does Amazon shut down? Because it just isn't sustainable. What uh, number of employee were you? Oh gosh, uh, you guys were in the thousands at that point. Probably right? like three thousand. Something like Hopefully that. you uh, haven't sold too many shares. Congratulations. All of them. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> but good, good, wait, good news though. I sold them in order to start Redfin. So, uh, yeah. and I held on to some Redfin stock. So, I did not know that, dude. You've been doing, wait, Redfin the real estate thing? Redfin the real estate thing. I didn't know you started that. So, you've done all types of shit, man. I tried to. Yeah, it's <laughs> been, it's been really neat. I've had, I've been, I've had a very blessed career. Um, but again, like what's neat about this one is, you know, Redfin's really, really cool. It, we invented interactive mapping, but this business, the number of times I get an email every single week that says you changed my life, that's, there's yeah, you nothing know, like, that beats t- that. Tech companies get criticized for like, oh, you're just building toys and frivolous stuff. You're like, it's like, you're literally saving lives. Uh, so, so you got to do both. You got to do fun, you know, tech with, with all kinds of crazy shit involved. And at the same time, you're saving lives. So I, I like that. Uh, I'm jealous of my friend James who invested in you guys early on. I should have invested. <laughs> I remember seeing him post about it on Facebook and I was like, this is a pretty good idea. And what I didn't put, I didn't think about at the time because I was like, how are they going to scale this up? I thought, oh, they're going to do labor arbitrage. They're going to get people in the Philippines to watch your stuff. And, uh, you know, it'll just be a lower hourly rate, you know, and the price point will be, you know, sort of high, un- unachievable for most. But what you're saying is smart, which is, one guard is going to have a hundred houses under monitor. Most of them, most of the time, nothing is happening. So you don't need eyeballs on the screen. That's and right. the AI is going to basically say something's going on on house 42, 42 pops up, human eyes decide, is this good or bad Damn. next swipe to the next. And so it's really, it's actually more than human in the loop. It's in my opinion, like these should be called something else. They should be called like, you know, super services or something like that, because it's taking a Ooh, service based business. And it's scaling it like a superhero where it's like, oh, what if that security guard could not just watch one house, but actually could watch a hundred houses. Now you have a super service that can scale in the way that services typically can't. And so I think that's even more, I know for pitch decks, you use Hooping the Loop and I've seen that a bunch, but I, I think this super is super services. Actually- I freaking love that, dude. I'm, I'm going to steal that from you if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that I, awesome. I think this is awesome. And now, now I'm kicking myself because I'm like, oh shit, that this actually, if I'd asked one question earlier, this would have made sense to me. And now it does. So thanks for coming on and, and uh, explaining it to us. Hey, thank you. And, and, and if you're still interested, we're raising another round this year. So, hey, uh, you know, let me know. See, the only problem is I'm a cheap Indian dude who's like, oh, the price back <laughs> then, the price then would have been, I don't know what you could raise your first round at, maybe 10 million or something like that, 20 million. I have no idea what it was. But uh, now I bet, like, have you, you've raised an A, right? Uh, we're in the process of raising the A right now. So, oh, you guys okay, actually, I'm going to email you. I'm going to invest in this company anyways. I will. Oh, I no, mean, no, 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 no. You got to send it to me too. Look, you guys have. It, I'm not taking your spot. We can both get in, baby. <laughs> can we? I mean, you've raised $24 million, um, right? Or 23? 
we, we've raised we've raised a bit. We have a we have a really unique investment vehicle that's open right now. So you know, if you're serious, uh, uh, there there I is an serious. opportunity. Because you know, ADT and these guys. Uh, what are the other security companies? The big ones. I, I've looked into this before, but they're all multi-billion-dollar sort of sleeping giant incumbent types that. For them to do something like this, they either have to buy you or they have to like change their DNA inside their bodies, which is not going to happen. So, ADT um, has a six billion dollar market cap. And wait, I'm so confused. ADT has five billion in revenue and a six billion dollar market cap. Is that right? If you look at their enterprise value, that's the secret. They have a six billion dollar market cap because they have ten billion dollars in debt. So they actually have an enterprise value of fifteen billion dollars, sixteen billion dollars. Okay, so there's some. Okay. By the way. The other way we could do this is if you happen to have $10 billion I could borrow, I could do that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast doesn't pay that well. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we missed that one. But uh, dude, send me the information. I'm definitely interested if, if you wanted to talk about it or you're willing to have either of us. That sounds awesome. Happy to do it. It's funny how such small thing makes a difference. I saw the video Sam posted and the operator the security guard who spoke back was like clearly not like you know my relative in india and i was like oh wait this is actually gonna feel totally different to have a human who's got your back who feels like a trusted american voice there with you right there with you and then like right right now my neighborhood our front gate we have like a door guy just sitting there all day couldn't stop anybody if you wanted to um but you know just sort of useless uh you know there's there's all these little points of failure whether it's mail it's the doorman it's your personal house it's my for example for e-commerce our warehouse you know they spend a lot of money you know just guarding because they have millions of dollars of goods in their warehouse and um and it's just so inefficient so capital inefficient the way they try to uh, secure, you know, have security for those things nowadays because you have alarms, which are just going to be like kind of just a sound. Uh, you yep. know, you're playing an MP3 to protect you, or <laughs> or you have a human. You got, you know, a club. I think bouncer. it's Spotify now, by the way. MP3s are the old ones. So they, they that's right. That's Spotify right. for you. We're going to stream. We're going to stream the security <laughs> to you, or you have a guard who's 99.9% of the time going to do nothing. Yep. And um, and so it just doesn't make sense, right? Like I said, finally, you know, a solution that, that makes more sense. And no, I'm not paid to say this. It just makes sense to me. Well, I, I, if I can, I'll tell you one more story. One of the things that, that got me off my butt to do this was uh, there was a story of this elephant that escaped a zoo. And the video was uh, the elephant, like not, not, not a small animal, right? Like an, an elephant. Right. And the elephant did not escape the zoo by going around the guard. The guard was sitting at the, at the gate. And, and like, you know, the chair is tilted back the way that you expect the chair to be tilted. Guard is totally asleep and a freaking elephant walks right by him and leaves the zoo. And you're just like, there has to be something better than this. This is ridiculous. Right. Has there ever been a conversation like in San Francisco, there's all these car break-ins. Like, can a city adopt this? Do you ever, do you think a city realistically is going to ever adopt this where, you know, the cameras are on the street post or, you know, on, on the lights and basically you can guard the whole street of cars that way or no? You know, we've we've talked to a couple of cities about it. The thing that I don't like is I don't like the idea of Big Brother being part of the government. Yeah. Like I, one of the things I really like from kind of an ethical, this is, I'm a pretty principled guy, I like to think, um, is that by making this surveillance private and focused on private property and protecting that property in service to that individual, you don't have that like panopticon risk of turning into, you know, the evil eye. And, and 
you know, we never question who our customer, our customer is the person that, that pays us and owns this property. And that's a, it's a tried and true, like deep principle of, right. you know, American liberty. That's fair enough. I like that. Yeah. The person who buys it is the one who's opting into their own protection, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Dude, my, um, someone just rang my doorbell and I know that because my, I just got a notification on my phone that Deep Sentinel is talking to him. <laughs> this is where you're Isn't gonna that get made awesome, fun of. by the way, dude? People, is... people are going to be like, you didn't know they rang your doorbell because they rang your doorbell? Like, <laughs> oh, I can't, <laughs> you needed an app? <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear it, but I know that uh, I, I, can, I can see on my phone. I just got the notification. I love it. It, it makes me feel so much safer for, for my, I've got two little girls and I absolutely love it. It's great. I'm digging this. I'm, I mean, I can see my wife in our courtyard. This is awesome. I'm a fan. Well, thank you guys. I, I love, I love getting the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for bringing me on and uh, you know, and, and for being a, a good customer. Thank you. Right on. Good talking to you, man. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like, uh, the 